Jesus is a blue-collar Christ. Can you think about that with me for a second? Jesus is a blue-collar Christ. He didn't come with chariots, he came on a donkey. So blue-collar, every man sort of Christ, which is two opposite things. That's king, servant. Servant, God. Jesus is a blue-collar Christ. So if we want to live lives that imitate his, we're going to have to, in some way, embrace a blue-collar faith sort of mentality. Jesus doesn't have anything against intellectuals. Jesus doesn't have anything against the educated. Jesus doesn't have anything against executives or intelligence in and of itself. He doesn't have anything against those who aren't skilled laborers working in a trade. It's not that sort of blue-collar faith. It's a mindset in which Jesus always engaged with problems with his very own hands. Most of us distance ourselves from problems. I think it's pretty common that our lives are all about insulating ourselves from things that are painful or hurtful or sad or different. Jesus just didn't insulate himself. He took the pain in order to be with the people that needed the most help. He, he just gave whatever they needed. If people needed food, what did he do? He multiplied it. Right? He engaged with the need of the moment. It, it wasn't just uh, a mysterious delegation. He was hands-on in the process. If they needed healing, he healed them. He didn't send them to a physician. He stepped in. Now, blue-collar mindset, the way I'm defining it this morning, is like you do whatever you can with whatever you've got to show people God's love. And that, to me, defines who Jesus was. He didn't tell other people to do for him. He did. And obviously, he had everything at his disposal. He's God in human form. So he had a lot to work with. We have less to work with. But we've got things to work with. Each of us has things that we have to work with. Our strengths, our skills, our background, our education, our faith, even our weaknesses and fears are things we have to work with. They're part of who we are. So a blue-collar mindset and faith is just doing everything we can to help people with whatever we've got. For me, a blue-collar faith means people who are doers. Uh, but it's easier to give money to, say, Kisaboka, which supports poor children in Uganda. And this is good. So you, you recognize I'm not giving an either-or, but I'm, I'm challenging you to the do part. We've consecrated our building this month to God's glory. We've consecrated ourselves to Jesus this month. We're consecrating ourselves on mission. This week, we're consecrating ourselves on mission. We're the doers. We've got Christ's embodiment on earth. So it's easier, we'll all admit this, myself included, to give money to Kisaboka for Sandy Gannon and others to help poor children than it is to foster a child in our own home. Which one should we be doing? Both? Neither? Either? That's for God to lead us. But it is easier to ask someone else to do. It's much easier. But Jesus kept engaging. He kept doing. He didn't keep delegating. How about World Vision as an organization? These parachurch organizations that are doing great work in Jesus' name around the world. It's easier to give them money to provide food for people who need it than it is to come to L Street ourselves in Brockton and hand out food. Those are both giving food to needy people. But one is easier. Why is that? Why is that? 
I think the default for humans is to always consider ourselves first, which is why the greatest commandment is consider others. Love them as you love yourself, yes, but not less than. Consider others more important than yourself. This mentality of hands-on service is something that we need to embrace. And I think sometimes we look at church this way, too much like a business, too much like a white-collar sort of structure of organization and programs and management. A white-collar is not bad, and I know I'm advocating for a blue-collar, but it's really just to challenge us into action. A white-collar is not a, a negative thing. It's a description of how the business works. It's a, a series of hierarchies, of positions, of management, of delegation. There's upper management, little manage, middle management, lower management. Like it's, it's a structure. And so you'd ask the people to do the things that need to be done, and that way you can operate a large business. Nothing wrong with that. But sometimes that can distance us from the needs that we could be helping with ourselves. And Jesus never put another barrier between himself and people. He just loved people. If they needed to be welcomed, they needed to belong, he called them brother, and he called them sister, and he hugged them. And if they were children, he put them on his lap. Right? That's not management. That's mission. That's Jesus being a blue-collar Christ. If people needed teaching, he taught. If they needed fish, he told them which side of the boat to throw the nets on. He provided in all ways. If they needed wine for the party, he just made more. Like whatever was needed in the moment, he stepped in. Jesus is an initiator. He didn't delegate God's role. You might say, well, church has leaders, right? Well, aren't I a leader? The funny thing about that is I think that's where church has gotten it wrong over the years. Every time we see leader in the Bible, it's a person who's a support staff for all the doers, all the missionaries. A leader in Scripture called a servant of all. Someone who equips, someone who provides resources. So if I'm here speaking, it's not so that I can know more or tell you what to do. That's not my job. As a pastor, my job is not to get you to do what I want you to do or to tell you what to do. I'm not your boss. I'm your brother. And this is a paradigm shift. And different churches approach it different ways, but I'm saying we're a very simple church, right? We're back to the basics. That's the definition of New Hope, especially with no walls and floors and ceilings and windows. Like, we're really back to the basics here. This is cool, though, because this is kind of who we are. I want to embrace that. If this place never got polished up and pretty, it would still be awesome. It's basic. It's pure. It's just a vehicle for God to be God, not our floors to be shined and sealed. So I want to see leaders who are equippers, and I want to be that sort of person myself. I want to find out what God's doing in your life and help you get there, rather than say, this is what I think you should do. So role reversal, it's definitely a mindset sort of shift. And lest you think that I am just making all this stuff up, I want to go to the Bible. I'd like to read three scriptures that kind of define this blue-collar faith and just ask you to think about it with me this morning. So if you want to turn in your Bibles, I always encourage people to bring their own Bibles because then you can underline stuff, you can highlight. But if you have a phone, you can look it up there. If you just want to listen, there's all sorts of different learners. Sometimes when people are reading a page, then they're just not hearing whatever's happening. So if you want to listen or if you want to read, I know I've been following in sermons and then I find myself like four paragraphs down from where the, the guy was preaching or the woman was preaching, like, oh, wait, back on track. So if you get distracted, just listen. But the Word of God is something you need skills and I need skills in opening and turning to and studying as well. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn, we're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Like I said, three scriptures on what it means to have a blue-collar faith, what it means for us to commission ourselves for purpose. 
purpose. It's a beautiful thing. It's something that the world really can't provide, and yet people are longing for. Can you think of people, or have you ever been a person that's longed to know their purpose? It feels like such a real thing, a very relevant, common thing, probably to all of us. This is what we're talking about today. What's our purpose, and how, what is our mission? So 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11, this is a letter that was written by Paul to a church in Corinth. So he's just talking about what faith is like. He's talking with Christians. So this is us. We can read this 2,000-year-old letter. And be like, all right, we're Christians too. How would we apply this to ourselves? So verses 11 through 13 say this. He's talking about all the leaders, the apostles. To this present hour, he says, we hunger and we thirst we are poorly dressed, and we're buffeted, and we're homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When we're reviled, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure. When we're slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. This is how he defines leadership. <laughs> Usually the leader is the one that's got the cushy job. They just tell everybody else what to do and they don't have to get their own hands dirty. But he's saying leaders are supposed to be the low man on the totem pole holding everyone else up above them. It's a beautiful definition. And he talks about working with those with own hands. The Bible says in the book of Acts there was places where he worked as a tent maker. So he actually had skills. So he's literally talking about doing work with his own hands. But you see, he didn't limit it to that. There's a whole list of ways to be humble, ways to serve, ways to respond. It's a broader category, but it's certainly a direct, intentional form of faith. That's what he was trying to set an example for. You know, working with your own hands doesn't just have to be serve home. And we've worked at serve home as a church for five years or so. I think that's a way that we could grow in our conception is to separate our idea of mission from being just a serve home type of thing. Paul isn't just talking about construction or manual labor, although it's a great way to help people. There are many ways to help people. And it's not just in that blue collar. It does not just mean manual labor. How about this? Couldn't working hard with your own hands be giving someone a hug? Why not? Work hard with your own hands. Immediate contact and love. That's the same as swinging a hammer or standing a deck and serve home. It's the same. You love someone with what you've got. With whatever you've got, do whatever you can. If that person is crying, you just hug them. Work hard with your own hands. How about helping to teach someone to speak or to read English? Isn't that working hard with your own hands? Isn't that immediately helping someone who has a need? Doesn't require a crowbar or a lawnmower, but it's mission. How about cleaning floors or bathrooms or toilets? All like the grunt work, the menial stuff. Isn't that working hard with our own hands? And usually don't we try to procrastinate those things or avoid them or delegate them? So our parents become great delegators, right? Clean the bathroom because I don't want to do it. Whatever we do, do us unto the Lord, right? It's working unto the Lord, not unto men. The small things are big things, and we go right at them. We don't avoid. Christians are not avoiders. They're initiators. It's not about management. It's about mission. Second scripture, a couple of books further on in the New Testament from wherever you were. Ephesians chapter 4. I just want to read one verse out of it. 28. Ephesians 4, 28. This takes another approach. Like I said, there's three different scriptures kind of approaching this blue-collar faith from different angles. This one talks about 
who you used to be and who you could be. I love this one. This is a beautiful one. Think about your lives, where they've been, specifically lives apart from God. And then think about what it could be with him. You're the same you, but there's like old you and new you, former you and future you, before Christ and after Christ you, right? I hope we can identify with that. That's the way it should be, moving closer to him. Ephesians 4.28 says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Thieves are good with their hands. They take stuff and they get away with it. What if those hands that had been used for selfishness, for greed, for robbing, for whatever, all that skill was used into helping those in need, handing out instead of grabbing? The thief is still a good with his hands sort of person, but how will we use those skills? Will they be for, what's that old that phrase, the expression, use your powers for good, not for evil? If you're good with your hands, use them for good things. That's you. Now, if we're wonderful at talking to people, that can be good or bad. If we talk to people really easily and can make friends, we could make the wrong friends really quickly. So we're good at it. But you could also go out of your way and build the right friendships so easily. That's not easy for everyone. I'm curious, in this room this morning, how many people is it easy to go up to new people and start conversation and make new friends? How many is it easy for? I was going to say, yeah, like maybe five people will raise their hands. That's hard. That's hard work. So work hard with your own hands in reaching out to others. A thief that turns to God needs to be repurposed. Same skills, different purpose. That's what we are. We're repurposed. We're repurposed. We're reclaimed. We're recycled goods. And the future, the new us in Christ, is so much more authentic to how we are made than the weird version that we found our way into that never ended well when we tried it our own way. It doesn't mean that we're bad or we're wrong. We're just acting contrary to how we are made. Our true purpose, our God-given purpose. How about humor? Humor is a gift. We've got some really funny people in this church family. I love you guys. But people who are great with humor can also be really quick to be crude because they thought of a thing that they shouldn't say and then they said it and everybody laughed can also be really demeaning sometimes because you thought about the thing you could say about the person and you said it and everybody laughed. It's the same humor. How will it be used? You're going to use your powers of humor for good or for evil. Who are the people that need humor in their lives? The hopeless, the lonely, the discouraged, the people in pain, the sick, the bored, the complacent, Humor like wakes us up and brings us in. That's a good thing. Are you using it in a good way? God-given humor is not always used for God. How are we using our design? Because when it falls into place, there's nothing better in the entire world. Um, most of you know my dad, sitting over there, Art Stratton. He has a passion for teaching, right? It's how God has made him. And when I grew up, he would always say this phrase. He'd say, I got 
to teach someone about Jesus today. There's nothing better in the entire world than talking to people about Jesus. But do you realize only five people raised their hand when they thought that talking to someone else was the best thing they could possibly do in the world? What about the rest of us? Do we need to become enough like art that we can love talking to strangers and teaching the Bible? No. That's just his purpose. And he found it. And there's a before Jesus art and there's an after Jesus art. And the after Jesus art is repurposed. And that's why it feels so good to him. It's his thing. For me, this center is part of me finding my repurposing, and Michelle as well, because we've always been so drawn to that serve home, that foreign missions, that small community, that project, that helping people move, that get your hands active kind of faith. And, but it felt like those things happened other than on Sunday mornings. It felt like they were just different categories, and this place like merges them. So there's something beautiful about this that I'm excited to see how we can grow into, where it'll fit. Like, oh, there's nothing better than loving people in practical ways through the center. And someone will hear me say that one day and be like, okay, Art, I hear you. But they might not even agree, because maybe for them it's not that. I mean, that's the last thing they'd want to do. Finding our purpose is critical, and it's God-made. Last scripture, and then we'll make a, a few points as we kind of tie these things together and hopefully get practical because we need to find our way in this direction. This is a good thing. How do we get there? Last scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 2. So if you're in the New Testament, go just a few more books further forward. This again is from Paul, giving more advice. This time he's giving advice to a leader. So again, think about our mentality. Think about what we think of. Who's the doer? Who's the doing? If I were to go back to my church example, a, a white-collar approach to church in terms of who does certain things, uh, a white-collar congregation might hire a pastor and then pay him and then expect him to bring people to Christ and to baptize them. That's sort of his function, his role within the body. Does that sound bad? No, that's wonderful. That's awesome. But in the process, there can be sort of like a delegation of those things to the pastor since he is hired and supported and paid and expected to do those things. Well, then he's got that. Whereas a blue-collar approach to faith would be everybody looking for who needs to find hope in Christ and introducing them to Christ and then baptizing them. Who's taking ownership? Who's responsible? How do we engage all of us? So 2 Timothy 2 here brings a lot of these thoughts together. 2 Timothy 2, verse 20 to 22 starts with painting a mental picture of this great big house. Think of mansion and all these rooms are filled with wonderful things. Or so we're talking about tawny antiques. Think of tawny antiques. You walk through and like every shelf has a thousand things and takes an hour to get a foot because you just can't see it all at once. Like in a great big house, Paul writes to Timothy, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but there are also ones of wood and clay. Some of them are for honorable use. Think like the china for the table. And some are for dishonorable use. Think the bathrooms, the toilet paper roll. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. He will be set apart. This is the word consecrated that we've been talking about for weeks now. He'll be set apart as holy which means like God. It means different. It means distinct. It means pure. He will be useful to the master of the house, ready for every good 
work. So flee our youthful passions and pursue righteousness and faith, love and peace, along with all those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. This is describing what Jesus does for us. He cleanses us from whatever our former uses were. But he doesn't change the vessel we are. We are still us. He just takes the us that we've only come to know a little bit and he reveals to us who we've been made to be in him. You are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for us to do. So we have this sense of purpose, but it's God designed and it's Jesus cleansed. It's Holy Spirit powered, if you want to bring the full scope of the Trinity into it. Jesus is the only one who cleanses us and repurposes us. So this is why it feels so frustrating to people who are trying to find their purpose. I think you've probably heard that phrase. It feels common to me. I'm trying to find my purpose. I'm trying to find my purpose. I'm trying to find out who I am. Um, we're told, you know, do what you love. It's like, decide what you love and then go do that. I mean, maybe you're terrible at it, but is that good advice? Is that bad advice? There's a theme that we're going to see with all these phrases we hear. Be who you are meant to be. Well, do we decide who we're meant to be? Or does God decide who we're meant to be? Who, who were we? Find my purpose. Who am I? Achieve your goals. Well, what if my goals aren't God's goals? Will I achieve them? Should I try to achieve them? How do I know who am I? Questions like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Many of us at all ages are still wondering that question, what do we want to be when we grow up? But is it a want? Is it a, a thing we shape? Is it something that's decided by God? These things reveal an underlying desire in our society for us to design our own futures. For us to know the future in advance and then for us to shape it and create it the way we want it to be. I think ultimately this is a futile cause. I don't think we're capable of shaping who we want to. We've actually already been shaped and created by someone who knows what we're meant to be. We're discovering that along the way. It's very stress-producing also to have to define yourself and figure yourself out and get it right. It's all on you at that point. That's hard. And it's actually really probably impossible because none of us knows the future. So all those things we thought we were going to be when we grew up or those jobs we started because we knew it was going to lead to this next position, like, did it actually turn out that way? So if short-sighted, narrow-sighted us in the immediate moment are making decisions for future us that we're completely getting wrong, then that puts even more stress. What if I don't get it right? There is a wonderful peace that we can experience from believing that God has the answers to these questions and that we don't have to make them up and hope we get them right. That is such a peace giver. So if anyone here or anyone you know is in that place of like angst, I'm trying to figure myself out and become who I'm supposed to be and achieve my dreams, they need to hear that God already knows what that looks like and God's already started you on the path and created you in such a way that you can find this place where you're meant to be and to serve him. But it's got to be from him and it's got to be through Jesus and it's got to have the Holy Spirit making it possible. But when you set into that groove, instead of feeling like driving uphill, it's more like train tracks. They just kind of guide you and it feels right and smoother. 
and it's easier. We need to walk with God and ask Him who we are instead of looking around us and deciding who we want to be. Um, think about this from a creator's point of view. God being the creator, he's the designer of the human being and each of us individually. Isn't it a little bit of a slap in the face to say to the creator, I'm going to decide who I'm going to be or how I was made or what I'm here for? He's like, I, I kind of already did that. Like, who, are you gonna like rework the stuff that I gave you, the raw materials? I guess you can, but like, you've already been started with purpose. It's not for us to decide, it's for us to discover and for God to reveal to us. There is a verse in the Bible, I don't want you to turn there, but just listen to this, that says this exact thing. It talks about a potter and clay and who's got the right to shape whom. Romans 9.20 says, Who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel I lost my place. <laughs> One vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use. There is a, not so much like an inward seeking as a God seeking that will define our purpose for us and reveal it more and more. And we may never feel like, oh, this is what I'm here on earth for. I found that perfect job, that perfect ministry, that perfect. That's okay. We're not here to feel like we've got it all together. We're here to rely on God's grace. I'm just sharing that there is a path that leads to more and more peace the further you get down it when you align more and more with the, the one who made you because he knows what you'd be perfect at and what would feel good and what you'd excel at because he put those things in you as raw materials. The more we use them for his purpose, the more peace we will find. So before we go to some practical application about how we could discover this, I'd like to give three examples about ways this plays out in the world. The first one has to do with sexuality. The second one has to do with jobs and careers. And the third one has to do with um, like the influencer culture that we live in. There is a lot of confusion in our world, being like created by our world right now in regards to sexuality. Who do you think you are? Who are you? How do you feel? How were you born? How do you identify? We hear words like this all the time, right? Now everybody in the room is getting nervous. What's Dave gonna say? But don't we have to know how to talk about these things? Aren't we living in that world where we just never say anything or think anything? So I know that sexuality is not a simple thing and I'm not gonna be the one to reduce it to one type of a person in one scenario. But don't you think that there are people who are growing up who just don't know who they are and are trying to decide and therefore are giving themselves more complications in life because they're trying to reinvent themselves in the area of sexuality? I think there are. What if a route to peace was not deciding who we would like to be, but discovering why, and trying to understand why am I the way God has made me? Like, I think of my own life, and like so many times I had no idea who I was. I was trying to figure things out. I think we probably all feel like this as we grow. What if at every corner I had to decide who I wanted to be? Like, I don't think I could have handled that pressure. And specifically with relationships and sexuality, like I have to invent myself. I, I don't know who I should be or I could be. So what if we're trying to understand how God has made us? And if we feel conflicted, if we feel confused, if we feel like there's something not right, digging into that, like, all right, well, God, I am made this way. What does this mean for me? What does this mean for you? And asking questions 
that dig deeper into design and less into option. I, I feel like that's a danger. Given so many options, there are people who just genuinely growing up and trying to figure out who and what they are, will be encouraged to try all sorts of options. And then it actually becomes more confusing. You guys ever seen the, um, the condiment aisle in Market Basket? Like, do you like, shudder and twitch as you go by? Have you ever tried to find one condiment? It's impossible. There's so many options, it's overwhelming. You don't know where to start. And I actually read, this was in a Malcolm Gladwell book, grocery stores will limit the number of options of a certain product they sell because if it goes past a certain number, they won't sell any. People just go and stare at the ketchup and like, uh, and then they walk away because they can't handle it anymore. Like, this can happen in all areas of our lives. Where is our level of compassion? Where is the route to peace? Because ultimately with sexuality, we need to have a peace that we can live a way God loves and be who we are and find him in that. So I'm not presenting answers. I'm posing the question, wouldn't it be great if more peace could be added into that conversation and less confusion? Because it feels hard to me. And I know it feels hard for people that are struggling in those areas. But God must have something to say and think about this, some way to help. He's God. He loves us and he made us. There's no area that's off limits, taboo for him. He's just in it all. So what's the route to peace in that, in purpose? I think it's something we should continue to think about and discuss and pray about and find our way through. So the second example in careers and jobs, couldn't there be so much peace found by people who are looking for the right job, the right position, the right career, the right graduation major to line them up for the right path, the right level of importance. Couldn't there be so much more peace found by those people if they thought about who they were as a person in whatever job they did, instead of hoping that if they get the perfect job, it'll make them into the person they want to be? If I get this title, then I'll be respected. I hate to break it to you, people are either respectable or unrespectable regardless of their position. I met many people that are high-level executives that are not respectable people. I met many people out on the street here, our new neighbors, that are living at home on, you know, social security and other things, and they've got a lot of respect. They conduct themselves with respect. The job won't make us who we are, and yet we're pursuing those things. I want to be well thought of. I want to be admired. Your job won't make you that way. That's something you are. And if we're looking for the things that we do to shape us and make us, it's starting at the wrong direction. God, how can you make me a person worthy of respect, who's honorable, who's compassionate? That starts here. It's not a search to find it out there. It starts on the inside. A job won't make us into someone we're not. The last example the influencer culture that is, is just everywhere at every level right now. Couldn't people who are comparing themselves to others find so much more peace if they weren't hoping they could be like someone else, but if they were recognizing the ways that they're beautiful and gifted and strong and worthy and be grateful and enjoy those? Isn't there a robbing of our own contentment that comes in comparison. And this happens to us whether we want or not. You're just being forced to compare yourself with others at every level. But if we're trying to find our purpose, 
might we actually be just trying to be like someone else? Maybe someone wants to be just like their favorite preacher. You know, Francis Chan, he's one of my favorites. I wish I could speak like him. Is that your purpose? Or do we just respect and admire those people and make them our idols? And then try to be like someone who we're not. I wish I could be more generous. I wish I could give more money away. But I just don't have enough money even to pay the bills every month. Well, what do you have? Because a blue-collar face says, I'm just going to do whatever I can with whatever I've got. And so maybe it isn't money. Maybe it's time. Maybe there's a senior center around here where you could go and sit and play the guitar and sing old songs with folks who are lonely. If we end up elevating other people's gifts, it will distract us from our purpose. It's not the way it's meant to be. You're supposed to say, who has God made us? And then to love that. You know, what about all those people that are uh, givers of hospitality or encouragers or um, servants or prayer warriors and they don't get any upfront publicity. It's all behind the scenes. Is that not as worthy? Should they be trying to find their purpose when actually we should be more like them? Who has God made us to be? There's such a wonderful peace and a deep reassurance in the belief that God has made us intentionally. We don't need to try to find ourselves out in the world. We're already here. We just need to discover who God has designed us to be and head in that direction, and he will unfold our path. So purpose is God-designed. It's not man-made. Many words to say just that. Purpose is not man-made. Purpose is God-made. And so if you want it, but you're trying to make it, you'll never get there. You can't make it. God makes it, and he reveals it to us. So I'm going to give us five simple ways to help pursue this. If this is something that's intriguing you, if it's something you're struggling with purpose or with direction, if you know someone that is and you're trying to like help them, what advice could you give? The first one is kind of particular to me. My wife will laugh at me as soon as I say it out loud, but I'm going to, I'm going to encourage you all to do it. Interview your friends and your family. This is how I actually got my wife. So listen, this, for pe single people out there, this, this can work out well for you. Interview the people in your life and ask them what are your strengths and weaknesses. What would they say? And what if you asked five people and they all said a thing that you didn't expect? What if they see something in you that you don't see in yourself? What if you're way harder on yourself than others around you, but they can see clearly a thing that God has made in you that would be just so empowering? Like, oh yeah, you're right, well that's easy. And they're like, not easy for me. You're so good at that. Oh, and then you run with that. Interview your people. It's a very interesting thing. I've done this a couple of different times in my life. Trying to decide whether to go to seminary, trying to decide whether to go to the foreign mission field, trying to decide all sorts of you know, crossroads in my lives. I've asked people, tell me. And the things they say will surprise you and will help you. So rely on others. Uh, second way, spend some more time studying who Jesus is because he's recreating you in his image. So it's going to feel more and more right to act and think more and more like him as you head down the road. So all the things that we might think we love or that we want to do, if we realize that's not actually aligned with him, it's going to feel more and more like the clothes don't fit, the shoes are too small, the further you get. So don't set yourself up for having to you know, take a detour down the road. Align with who Jesus is and it'll feel more comfortable and holy as you go. All right, third, do more reflecting on your life. 
Do you reflect at the end of the day? What worked? What didn't? What did God do? What did I learn? What's he telling me? Do you wake up in the morning and say, okay, God, what's today about? What are we trying to work on together? What are you telling me? What are the patterns? What can I see you saying? We don't often do that. We get up, we grab a coffee, we go. We come home, we go. Fall asleep at the end of the day and get up and, like, when do we reflect? How will we know how God has made us? What if he's trying to tell you, like, through all these signs, you just don't see him. He's not taking time. Take time to reflect on yourself. Close the doors, phone off, everything off. God, what are you trying to tell me about myself? So the reflection is the thought, and this goes with the fourth one. Ask God. He made you. He knows. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, God who gives generously to all will give. So if you don't know, you can ask him and he'll tell you. And then you'll be like, yeah, that fits. I get it. And then you'll start going another step down the road and it will clarify. You don't have to know the future. You just need to know the next step. And God knows it. And the last one, um, admit your fears. This is a great way to finding our identity. Because usually we avoid the things we're afraid of and we want to be really good at the things we're trying to compensate for. Right? There's a small man complex, Napoleon complex, you know, someone who drives a big truck, wait, I drove a big truck, oh no, who feels really insecure about themselves. Right? There's like all these signs like, why are you posturing so hard to look so good? You're just a person, right? You're just a guy, you're just a girl. Like, why are we trying so hard? Why are you trying to like be so rough and aggressive when you could just listen to people? Are you that insecure in yourself that you can't let anybody get a word in edgewise? Maybe. But what if we're the insecure one? <laughs> Not letting anybody else get a word in edgewise. If we admit to ourselves we've got some fears and we've got some weaknesses, then we won't be trying so hard to make ourselves who we wish we were and God can actually make us into who he's made us to be. He might want us to be like a really meek, gentle, quiet person, but we love those people that have like strong opinions and say what they feel and stand up for the right things. And what if you're meant to be a quiet person and all of your words are just clouding where you would actually find peace? Yeah. If we admit our fears and turn them over to God, it will free us from having to posture or hide ourselves or compensate. Right? God says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. If you find your fear, it's actually the biggest opportunity for God to do something amazing, because he's the strong one, not us. I'll close with this story, and uh, then we'll have a quick prayer and go to communion. I met a man for the first time here at the center. It was two Saturdays ago. No, wait. Our chant was a Saturday. So this is the day before. It was a Friday. And this man walked in, introduced himself, and I had met his wife at the auto place where I was getting my tires plugged because I live on 138 and all we do is drive over nails now because of all the construction. And she was there doing the same thing. And um, we just got into a conversation. And then she said, oh, I'll have to come check out the center sometime. Give my husband a call. He'd love to chat. His name is, uh, well, for the sake of anonymity, it doesn't matter what his name is. Uh, so he eventually did. He, he texted and then stopped in. And you know what he said to me? He heard a little bit about like, what's going on here, and I'm describing the, the chaos and the beauty of it all, and the unknown. And he said, you know, I always told my wife I wanted to be part of a working church. I never really felt comfortable going to services and doing things inside the building. I always wanted to be like out on the streets giving people a bottle of waters or going into the ghettos. And like he said, you just walk in there, and all the kids come running. And then you got a ball, and you play, and 
Some people think you're a creep and a weirdo and you're just like trying to show love. You're just there and no one pays anybody attention. I like to do that sort of stuff. And I just thought, what a cool definition of church, a working church. That man always wanted to be part of a working church. So whether he joins us here or whether he still pursues God wherever, that's not the point. But like, would we be a church that he would feel comfortable in? I would hope so. I would just hope that we would be a place that someone would come and be like, I want to be part of a working church. That's a cool thought. There were people who are trying in some little ways to do things with Christ that he's trying to do, whether we help him or not. May we all be workers of God's truth. The workers. Not just talk, but the workers. And not all the same. Actually, a million different ways. Because the world doesn't need just one thing. The world needs everything. So for every person represented in this room here, don't try to be one thing. Don't try to be someone else. Seek God first. And then all these things will be added unto you. Let's pray. Father God, you are our beginning, you are our author, our creator. You sent us your son to die on the cross that we might be redeemed vessels, cleansed from dishonorable use, set aside as holy for honorable use. Father, we can't even predict what that honorable use might be a minute from now or a day or a year or a decade. That's your territory. I just pray for each person in this room, myself included, that you would help us to see those moments when we can live into our created purpose and have that sense of belonging, that sense of wonder. Wow, God, this is part of what you've made me for and I can fulfill part of your mission on earth by just being who I am and not trying to be someone else. So I, I pray that you would give us, Father, each of us, uh, a discovery journey and a, a revelation where our eyes would actually be opened. Please use us as a church family together to help one another in seeing who we are. And may the things we do, whether they're big or small, uh, give us patterns that we might see your, your communication to us through. Help us to recognize and come to know ourselves and to know who you're making us to be. And may you dedicate this center to be a place that helps that process. May you commission us, Jesus, to continue and carry on that road in that direction. So ask your blessing, ask your wisdom, ask your purpose to be revealed to us more and more every day and all for your glory and by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.